Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, October the 16th, 2022. And today on the program, I am joined by Jesse Collings from the East, from Boston, and the returning Chris Gullo. He is back from no-showing the Bills game. Ariel Hawani going in his place, and he is back today on WrestleNomics Radio. Now I'm probably like the fourth most famous uh, Bills Mafia member that's in, involved in anything wrestling media now, apparently. So, uh, but but yeah, I, I was good to be back. Yes. Who are the other two? Ariel, you, Thurston, Thurston. Who's yeah. the other? One? Maybe I'm the third. Maybe I'm third. Yeah. Who's the mystery uh, fourth person? <laughs> Golo, what are, what are we going to talk about today? You still yeah, have we, a, a, a virtual background. What what famous wrestling venue are you coming from today? Well, I've been doing that on the Thursday Thirty shows. Uh, okay. I'm, I'll play around with it when we uh, after okay. we get this rundown. But let me tell you, today is jam packed. Uh, this Tuesday is yeah. the Tuesday Night War, and we'll have some ratings predictions on that. Um, talking about some media stories on uh, independent contractor employee issues for wrestlers. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery executive has mentioned additional AEW content. What does that mean? Uh, possible outcomes for the AEW backstage fight investigation. Uh, the Endeavor president talks about possibly buying WWE. Uh, TV ratings and attendance for Bray Wyatt's first SmackDown appearance. WWE content still set to expire on Hulu. And we are going to have exclusive news about WWE's day one premium live event. Okay. We have a, a special announcement uh, for... As people who listen to post-wrestling may know, there is a post-wrestling live five-year anniversary show uh, in Newark, in Newark, New Jersey, just a short walk away from uh, the Prudential Center, which is where Full Gear is happening on that day on November 19th, 2022. Uh, John Pollock and Wei Ting, of course, will be there. The Up Next guys, I understand, will be there, and I will be there, too. Uh, in Newark, New Jersey. So if you're going to Full Gear, if you're going to the New York City area or New Jersey area for Full Gear, which is happening November 19th, uh, I will be there at, at QXT's nightclub, uh, and you can get tickets. They're selling tickets at postwrestling.com slash live. So if you if you want to uh, awkwardly meet me, and I, I, will, uh, I, will, I will be there at least hanging out. Um, so looking forward to... to uh, Checking that out and, and visiting with John and Way again. Um, so, and, and Brandon, you're like uh, people should know. Brandon's an enormous human being. If you meet him in person, he's gigantic. We we how, how would you know? We've never met in person. Oh, but I know for a fact you're like what six seven. No, I'm like five foot six. <laughs> who's who's taller, Gullo? You or me? Uh, I think we're about the same height. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah, I think we're pretty close. Um, I once met a. Uh, Someone who I used to work with at Wrestling Inc., Liam Crowley, who now works for ComicBook.com. And I met him in person for the first time, I think at Death Before Dishonor. Um, and he's like legit like 6'7". He's just like an enormously tall person. You just never know how big people are when you only know them through Zoom. Yes. So we will start today. We have some an original report here. Um, and I will, this, this should have posted simultaneously for subscribers at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. And I will read it now for the listeners. Uh, WWE's day one premium live event isn't taking place according to multiple sources. The event originally scheduled for Jan- January 1st, 2023 at State Farm Arena in Atlanta isn't being rescheduled or rebranded. There's no PLE for WWE expected between Survivor Series on November 26th and Royal Rumble on January 28th. 
We couldn't confirm a reason, but the cancellation could be related to appeasing WWE's business partner, NBC Universal. Day one would have gone head to head on January 1st, which is a Sunday. It would have gone head to head on Peacock with NBC's last Sunday night football game of the regular season, which was going to, well, is going to be the Los Angeles teams going against each other, the Rams and the Chargers. Uh, many other neighboring weeknights would obviously conflict with WTV. Uh, holding a W event the night prior on Saturday would mean running it on New Year's Eve. It is true, though, that in 2021, Extreme Rules, Survivor Series, and NXT War Games were all on Sunday nights, and they all aired on Peacock during the NFL season against Sunday Night Football. Uh, day one in 2022 took place on a Saturday in Atlanta and was believed to be the beginning of an annual tradition we did reach out to W Media Relations and to State Farm Arena to confirm that day one has been canceled, but it haven't received a response. Nonetheless, that's what we've been told by multiple sources that the event is canceled. It's surprising news. I mean, when you said we have day one news, I actually assumed it was because they were going to move it to a stadium. A um, stadium, yeah. Well, because it had been presented as last year first of all it had been presented as like a big nick khan idea it was that nick khan wanted them to have this pay-per-view they wanted it to be in atlanta um and that last year was supposed to be the start of like making a new tradition like a new major pay-per-view that they have every year and it's new year's day and you watch wwe um and i remember last year like tickets were poor at first but they eventually did end up doing pretty well if i recall correctly at the the, for I think um, the last one, and then you know Nick Khan obviously seems to have more power than he did before under Vince. I just assumed it would be expanded. Um, and the in what the ex, excuse that you're you're saying here is that because it would have conflicted with Sunday Night Football, and that's NBC's biggest television. Um, and and if you look at the the other ple dates that they've done so far this year or have scheduled those are all on saturdays so there isn't another case in this football season of w running a ple on peacock the same mm -hmm. night as sunday night football and and for them to be cutting cutting down on a pay-per-view i think is fairly significant you know we're, no, we're kind of seems like from what you said there is going to be no december pay-per-view and we talked about this last year when day one um kind of came about was that the Typical December pay-per-view that WWE had had, whether it had been the TLC event, whether it had been New Year's Revolution, whether it had been some of the other events that's been in the past, um, never did particularly well compared to other events. So this was a chance to kind of rebrand what the December event was going to be based on around the day one. But it seems like they've just totally abandoned that concept and we're going to go from Survivor Series right to the Royal Rumble, which is quite a long time for WWE. I mean, that's two months clean. Um, and, and last year, and I, I should mention, there's, tickets had not gone on sale for this event, so it's not as if they have to refund tickets or anything. Um, it had been listed on Ticketmaster, but there was no on-sale date. No tickets had been sold. Uh, last year, looking at WrestleTix, tickets distributed for day one, well, I guess this year, January 1st, 2022, 11,213 at State Farm Arena in Atlanta. Um, there's a connection there, too, with State Farm Arena, which the, the, the president, I think, is this title of State Farm Arena is Steve Coonan, who is also a member of W's board of directors. Um, so I'd, I, I, I imagine um, I'd heard that they were looking at Tuesday 
They were going to run it on, I believe, the previous Tuesday, and they were going to rebrand it. I think that was on the table. That was being considered. Tuesday is obviously NXT's night, so it doesn't make a lot of sense to run against your own TV program, or I don't know what they would have done in that event. Um, Obviously, Monday and Friday are out because that's Raw and SmackDown. I think Saturday was probably not a great idea to do it on New Year's Eve. Um, They could have done Thursday, but I guess that's also going against the NFL. They could have done Wednesday, and Tony Khan would have have freaked out, but uh, none of these things are happening. so I, th- I think, uh, you know, last year there was, there was no December pay-per-view either, right? And I think, you know, Q4 will still end up with, I believe, four pay-per-views between Extreme Rules, which has already happened, Crown Jewel, Survivor Series, that's three. Um, there's going to be Royal Rumble in Q1. There's going to be probably another Saudi event, I would guess, in, in February. Um, I don't know if they'll do another one in, in March, though. We'll see. But obviously you have uh, WrestleMania happening in early April. Um couple questions here. Do you think they pigeonhole themselves, you know, calling it day one, thinking that they would have to target that date every year if they wanted to do that? And was this, we were led to believe this was a Nick Khan idea, but maybe this was a Vince idea. It would be the first wrestling show of the year. And maybe yeah, now I that believe, Vince is gone. I believe it was a Nick Khan idea. He, he pitched it on, on earnings calls as, as a, you know, they felt that there wasn't a lot of um, sports competition that day. And they felt that there was an opening there. And that that seemed to be a pretty clearly Nikon idea, um, but yeah, I, just, I guess it just it, it being on Sunday is pro- probably the thing that that made it not work. I wouldn't rule out seeing it happen in twenty twenty four. We'll see. Um, so, moving on, we got a lot of things to talk about today. Um, I don't know if we'll get through. I, I have have said off air. I want this to be a, a one hour podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's going to happen today. Hopefully, it'll be a two hour podcast um, or less than that. Hulu. Uh, if you look at Hulu, the Hulu interface is showing that, and we have the image right here. So Raw is now. This is a, a screenshot from this morning that I took. All these episodes of Raw are tagged to expire in nine days or ten days. So it it, it looks to me like WWE has made another extension with Hulu for the rights to Raw and other WWE content, not including SmackDown. SmackDown is separate. But it looks like this is at least set to expire probably under their extended agreement. This is my speculation, their extended agreement, um, which probably expires like ten days from now, so late October. Um, I'm I'm guessing they're making these sort of short-term you know, short extensions to keep this content there for viewers while they try to work out something more long-term. I'm guessing that WWE wants this deal, these next day rights to expire in fall of 2024 so that it expires at the same time that the live rights expire so they can have the ability to sell the rights to, to whoever buys the live rights, um, whether that's NBC universal, whether that's Amazon, Lord knows. Um, but th- I think that's what's happening here. I have asked Hulu about this and have not heard yet. Um, I, I, at some point, I have asked WWE about this, but I haven't gotten any answers. So I think that's what's happening. They're they're making a bunch of short-term extensions here, uh, and we'll see if this content continues to, to be on Hulu. Um, we'll move to SmackDown with Bray Wyatt. I think uh, Jesse said last week Bray Wyatt is his I think his favorite, one of his favorite wrestlers of all time. Yeah, I would uh, say Wyatt. it's like if I were to put like a Mount Rushmore, it would be like Mount Rushmore. Thank you, Bret Hart, Jumbo Zaruda, 
Toshiaki Kawada and Bray Wyatt. Okay. Uh, which uh, may- maybe you could have just all four different faces, in fact, of, of Bray Wyatt. Yeah. Um, but in any case, the, the Fast Affiliate came in. And we have a, num- a number of what? What did I say? The Fast Affiliate is two point one two one million viewers, so about one point or sorry, two point one three million viewers according to the Fast Affiliate. The Fast Affiliate is almost always lower than the final, so based on the usual difference between the final and the Fast Affiliate, this looks like it's going to be about two point two four million viewers, which would be slightly down from last week um, or nearly I think very very slightly down from last week in any case I expected a, a big rating for Smackdown with the advertised live appearance of, of Bray Wyatt who did pop a big this, this, this big uh, spike up here this is when this is September 23rd when there were a lot of clues dropped about maybe Bray Wyatt's going to come back on this day September 23rd Big rating, 2.5 million viewers, the highest it's done since it had an NFL lead-in on Christmas 2020. If you, you know, if you uh, exclude that, it's the highest SmackDown has had since March 2020, a very long time. Uh, but Bray Wyatt's actual appearance on SmackDown, although he had already returned on Extreme Rules, uh, pretty normal rating relative to what SmackDown has done lately. And then when it comes to ticket sales, we did not have a final count yet uh, from WrestleTix, but at WrestleTix's last count, 6,395 tickets out in New Orleans for the SmackDown taping, uh, which is higher than it was last year by, uh, by about 400, um, which was only 6,000 in February 2022 this year, February in New Orleans also a SmackDown, so a little bit higher, not huge, after Bray Wyatt had probably pushed sales for Extreme Rules, probably helped push sales for Raw in Brooklyn, where he did not appear. Um, WrestleTix has noted that 1,150 tickets moved since WrestleTix update on the 10th, which was Monday. Um... So not a huge attendance, not a huge, um, not a huge TV rating, and we'll look at uh, YouTube in a second. But uh, any thoughts on that, Jesse? How, how, how is your favorite wrestler doing? It's very surprising to me. It's hard to figure out exactly what Bray Wyatt means for business because, as you said, that SmackDown from nine twenty three doing a huge rating, we're pretty confident in saying was a tri- can be attributed to the teases that. Um, had led to that. Raw this week doing a really big rating. Now, granted, they had other things like the DX reunion, but you know, Raw was had a huge rating this Monday. Um, I just expected SmackDown to be up a lot, and it wasn't, and it's flat. And we we saw the similar thing on nine twenty three when they teased Wyatt and he didn't show up, and then the next week it was back to normal basically. Um, so it's re- really hard to figure out exactly what impact Bray Wyatt's going to have on business. I, it seemed like there's a lot of interest in his, you know, potentially showing up for the first time. But then after that, it seems to have tailed off. Um, over time, we'll see what kind of storyline he's involved in. And if people take to that and they're able to kind of keep up this momentum when it comes to whether it's ticket shares wh- or t- whether it's ratings, whether it's ticket sales, whether it's YouTube views, whatever. But it 
it's very interesting to see that he's been able to pop the very some 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 business metrics, but we're already starting to see evidence that it's just a kind of a one time thing. It's yeah. it's very unusual. It's hard to grasp. Yeah, I, I guess I, I expected the 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 peak to last a little bit longer than this. You know, I think things would be back to normal by next week, but I did expect a rating, I guess. I would, if I were to have made a prediction, which I didn't, I would guess maybe 2.3 million viewers, maybe even 2.4 million, but uh, not so much. Um, the well, YouTube, the, tease, the tease of his return does a yes. huge number, and then they advertise his actual return. He's going to speak, right? and it does the same. It's, it's so puzzling. Yeah. Because I feel it, like I, I feel confident in saying that he was responsible for the nine twenty three number. I don't think it's like a fluke, but it's almost like the interest was was there to 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 um, kind of take a guess at this. I would say that there was interest there in seeing him return, and now that people have seen him return, a lot of the people are like, mm, "Okay, yeah." You could, you could argue the well, the return happened on Extreme Rules, and and whatever surge in interest there was going to be for his actual return already happened, and, and by Friday, that's you know, six days after Saturday where he's already returned and, and raw was up raw raw's rating was really strong yeah. on Monday. Maybe a lot of that is attributed to, to DX being there, but, but raw's rating and raw's ticket sales were quite strong on Monday. Um, we have the, the YouTube video, which is about what I would expect. It has now crossed 1 million views on YouTube. We are now about 36 hours since that, that video, uh, of, of Bray Wyatt's appearance at the end of SmackDown has been published on YouTube, and it's it's well ahead of everything else. Uh, so that's that's what I would expect. Um, so yeah, Any, anything else? Yeah. Um, real quick, uh, well, just a comment. Uh, I totally agree with Jesse in the aspect of wrestling is weird, where fans want to see a return or a debut, but the interest drops off steadily for a lot of talents. Like it's it's kind of puzzling <laughs> to to be honest with you. It's like all right, we saw him, we're good, we're moving on. Uh, but we do have a super chat that does tie into this from Primo Cologne. Uh, SmackDown rarely gets a pay-per-view bump. Do you think fans' interest for a big return dwindles considering they have to wait six days after a pay-per-view, which you kind of alluded at, Brandon? Yeah, maybe somewhat. I, th- I think SmackDown, you would have to really pull up the data, but I think, I think SmackDown has has done well after SummerSlam uh, in the last two years, where SummerSlam has really been coincided with a, a big rating for the following Raw and SmackDown. But I think there's there's definitely uh, when, when the difference between doing a pay-per-view on the weekend and the effect that that has on, on a Raw, which is the, you know, on the first day of the week and uh, the first day of the weekday, the week, the, the weekdays, and then, you know, a, a SmackDown, which is now on Friday at the very end of the week. So, yeah, generally I would say, yeah. Um, I would think it, it might also be an indication of something like, fans still see raw as the a show and so when wyatt returns people tune into raw in greater numbers because they expect something to happen on raw because that's traditionally how it's been for 25 30 years in in wwe but smackdown's the a show now and i don't know if the entire audience has grasped that concept and so a lot of people tuned into raw this week didn't see bray wyatt and just didn't think about tuning into smackdown at the same rate um, and that's why you see Raw getting a pay-per-view bump, but SmackDown not. Right. Um, okay. And then we have uh, an interesting note from the town with Matt Bellany, pointed out by Josh Nason, who tweeted the other day that the Thursday's The Town podcast uh, 
has some discussion about interest in buying WWE from Endeavor president Mark Shapiro. Uh, and we will listen to those comments now. This is from The Town with Matt Bellany, which you can listen to on Spotify. But I'm just saying from a, an investor perspective, there is a significant league out there right now, the WWE, that many believe might be sold in the next few years. Are you guys looking at that and how closely and what would it take for you to bring that in? Look, very similar model if you think about it, not just to the UFC, but in terms of historical context, right? Ari Emanuel, Endeavor, WME represented Vince McMahon and WME, has been representing them for the last you know decade plus. Very similar to what we were doing with the Fertitas in the UFC. So we know the WWE very, very well. We know the businesses. Hell, we know Stephanie. We know Nick Khan. Yeah. We know. I mean, obviously, the big difference is it's fake. It's not real. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not fake. It's scripted. It's, it's scripted. Sorry. It's, yes. <laughs> okay? It's more entertainment than it is sports competition like the UFC. But we, we've shown the streets and frankly, everybody else in the industry that cares what we can do when you put the UFC on top of the Endeavor platform. There's just all kinds of levers we can flip. And when it comes to the WWE, yes, that would be something that would be interesting, that would be worth exploring. Would we buy it? Who knows? Last time I checked, it's not for sale. But is it something we'd be interested in? We're interested in anything in the own sports properties segment. So there's the Endeavor president, Mark Shapiro. Endeavor uh, its CEO is Ari Emanuel, who is the very famous and accomplished talent agent. Um, Endeavor, as people will know, is the owner of UFC, which it acquired a few years ago. And there's Mark Shapiro saying, I would say, as, as openly as anybody has, that they would be interested in buying WWE. Um, we also had Brandon Ross on back in August, where he you know, sort of, you know, argued that that Endeavor would be a good fit as a buyer for WWE. Uh, this is his his interview with, with Jeff. Why Endeavor? Why do you think Endeavor is the best fit? Well, I think this actually syncs with the conversation we were just having. So if you look at the UFC acquisition and how that was handled, they allowed Dana and UFC to kind of run as their own separate entity while leveraging all the infrastructure of Endeavor to help make them better and unlock revenue opportunities. I think a really good example of that is on the sponsorship side. And we all know that WWE has really been under monetized from a sponsorship perspective for a long time. And also in it, if you look at like where where does the profitability of this business come from, it's on those kind of rights deals. And Nick is amazing at that. We all know, right? You his history at CAA and the involvement that he's had in the past on this. Um, but <laughs> Ari Emanuel is certainly no slouch. And the idea of teaming those two up, you basically have a dream team kind of approaching um, all these negotiations as well. So that's a light shit analyst, Brandon Ross with, with Jesse and I back in August where he's really the first one that I've heard talk about the notion that maybe Endeavor would buy WWE. Um, it makes sense for, for a number of reasons. The other big players that people have thrown around as possibly acquiring WWE NBC universal makes a lot of sense because it owns the rights to so much WWE content raw and the peacock rights. Um, I'd, I'm not sold that 
NBC Universal really wants to buy and manage WWE, though. So maybe Endeavor is, is more realistic to think about. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned this back when we were talking about a potential sale. How would how if how would WWE fit into the umbrella of a company like Comcast or a, a media partner? Like, how would they? What kind of business is similar to WWE that Comcast runs? And there, there really isn't one. But they do own the Flyers, right? I think. Right, but it's 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 a, it's a whole. It's very different, I think. And and Endeavor is the one company that runs like the closest thing you could say to WWE that's not a pro wrestling company, which is UFC, and has a track record of doing that well. Obviously, UFC's business is doing tremendous. So that makes a lot of logical sense. I think there's still a lot to be decided on. He, he, Ari Emanuel, I mean, I, or Shapiro didn't really give off the impression, I think, that they were trying to buy WWE. He more of just kind of said, we're somewhat interested in it because it's related to sports. And we have some relationship with some of the executives bef- that run the company. But I didn't get from those quotes that he was really saying anything more than just saying, we're interested in anything in business. The same way Nick Khan would say, everything in TV is competition. Yeah, I, I felt like it was a, he could have... Um danced around it more i guess like i you know um we're interested in anything and then i don't know he uh it, it felt more like a direct answer than i was i would have expected otherwise mm-hmm. not that i was listening to this not expecting it because i did, was not listening to this until i had heard that uh that there was w discussion on it um but yeah i think it's it's something that could happen and and if the if w is sold while nick khan is an executive in wwe He's under a five-year deal that began in 2020. Um, it, would, it wouldn't be surprising to see him sell the company to somebody else, uh, such as Ari Emanuel, who has been so involved in the talent agency business. Um, so, uh, yes. Anything else to add there? Yeah. We, why, why Endeavor? Yeah, we did have a, a super chat here, uh, which contains uh, that Endeavor buying WWE would be a good thing. This is from uh, Nick MP. Only thing that has to happen is someone convincing Vince to sell his shares to Endeavor. So I think that's a good question. Like, does Vince have to sell his shares to Endeavor for them to sell? And then would he support that? If they were, t- if they're going to get control of it, yes, Vince, you could. You could. I'm, we're getting into like territory that I don't feel like I have expertise to talk about but like vince has 80 percent of the control because all of his shares count 10 times more than everybody else's when it comes to voting power right everybody's shares count the same if they are sold but when it comes to votes vince has preferred class shares stephanie has preferred class shares although a, a much lower portion of them than vince does and so i think essentially there if there were a sale if somebody wanted to buy the company I think it would ultimately go to shareholders to approve of that. I think that's something that we talked with CJ Donald about last Tuesday. Vince would have to approve of any sale. Um, and he would have to, if someone else were to get voting control of WWE, he would have to own a lot less of WWE. So Vince would probably play play at least an approving role in that. Yeah, I mean, if Vince is... We always believe that Vince wouldn't want to sell his control because Vince liked control over the company. But now that he doesn't have creative control in the company, does that make him more likely to sell? Does he Is he still holding out hope that he can one day regain creative control of the company and so he'll never sell? We don't know. It all depends on Vince's mindset, which is a huge mystery at the moment. Yeah, so what do you think Vince is up to today? What's he doing? Is he watching the NFL games? Is he 
I mean, do you have, I mean, for somebody who started a, an XFL league twice, does he have a favorite football team? Is he a Giants fan, a Jets fan? What do you think? I, I think he doesn't know, like, anything about sports. That's, like, a famous Vinceism, is that he, like, his knowledge of non-WWE stuff is very limited. Maybe he's expanding that. This he owned a hockey team at one point. Oh, then the on Cape Cod, yeah. Yeah. Um, Who do you think he's yeah, the, 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 I think the he's got a, a very extensive EWR uh, save going on. Okay. All right. Uh, in other news, well, not, not so much news, but uh, the, the AEW and uh, the, the investigation goes on with uh, the, the Observer reporting on Friday. And I will strap in because I've got a lot to read here. So the Observer reported on Friday. This is from Dave. Regarding the, the situation with those suspended over the fight, that, uh, that is the backstage fight after All Out, uh, CM Punk... Young Bucks, A Steel, and Kenny Omega, none of the five have heard anything from AEW. All of the five are continuing to get paid, and when you figure the contracts for four of the five are well in excess of $1 million, the total weekly outlay for people who are not working is enormous. At least one person, not one of the five, who was there has not been interviewed, that is by the, the team who are doing the investigation, and there may be others. Most are frustrated because they want to be back working at this point, Punk may be the exception since he can't work for a long time due to surgery. None, none are allowed to speak, but several want to, but have no idea if they will ever be allowed to. Any rumors of anyone being fired, anyone being told they aren't coming back or anything like that are incorrect as of midweek at least. None have been given the impression of a timetable. Some thought that the Adam Page promo on Dynamite talking about his friends disappearing, Cole Cabana, <clears throat> Stu Grayson, and Alan Angels, and his former friends disappearing, which was in reference to the Young Bucks and Omega almost for sure, uh, as a sign that they are being acknowledged and, it, and it's settled the, and they'll be back soon is not the case. But they did allow the reference, but not the names, to be spoken. Um, so we had a discussion last Tuesday with CJ Donald that people can find on YouTube and in the free podcast feed about possible outcomes for this investigation. We also talked about the Vince story as well. Um, I've, I've got uh, an excerpt of an email that I'm going to read from another lawyer. Uh, this, this person who's asked me not to use their name uh, is a lawyer who's you know been practicing in California for 40 years, has been a general counsel for five companies with annual revenues of $100 million to $500 million, um, and has led at least 20 workplace investigations like the one AEW is doing into the Bucks, Omega, and Punk. Um, so this person listened to our interview with C.J. Donnelly and, and gave me their opinion about the situation and how it might play out. Uh, so this person writes, as to the Punk and AEW story, Punk's claims would not be for defamation, but rather for retaliation and hostile workplace harassment by the Bucks and Omega. In the press conference, Punk expressed complaints about the workplace and working conditions when he expressed his opinion that the EVPs and Page were undermining him and his position in the company by spreading false rumors about him holding back Cole Cabana. While Punk made those comments, Tony Khan was sitting next to Punk, nodding his head in what is commonly understood to be an approval or agreement with Punk's complaints. Tony removed all doubt that he was agreeing with Punk when he interrupted Punk and said words to the effect of, that's on me, I should have addressed it sooner. At a bare minimum, Tony acknowledged that he should have addressed Punk's workplace and working conditions so uh, concerns sooner 
indicating that punk, uh, indicating some validity to Punk's accusations. Under those circumstances, Punk immediately becomes a protected worker. It really doesn't matter whether he is an employee or an independent contractor in this circumstance, and the company has a duty to ensure that he is free from harassment or retaliation in the workplace in response to his complaints and while they are investigated. It's similar to the protections afforded to whistleblowers under state and federal law. Not only did AEW not protect Punk from retaliation and harassment, the EVPs and his chief legal officer promptly barged into Punk's private dressing room and confronted him about the, his accusations. None of, none of us were there, but I don't think anyone I've read or heard from contends that the EVPs' attitudes weren't hostile when they went in there and they outnumbered Punk 3-1 to one at a minimum, depending on whether Nakazawa, as Michael Nakazawa and Brandon Cutler, entered with them or came later. Moreover, Punk was seriously injured from his match with Moxley as Punk's superiors in the corporate hierarchy. The EVPs had a duty to not confront Punk in these conditions. And Mega Perrick, as the chief, chief legal officer, had a duty to try to stop them. Obviously, she didn't need to physically intervene, but she needed to do her best to persuade them not to go in there. As a result of the EVP's retaliation, a physical fight occurred and people were injured because of the EVP's standing as corporate officers. AEW is liable for their actions. The claim would be styled as retaliation and hostile workplace harassment, and AEW has the real potential for liability, in my opinion. That's likely why Punk hasn't been fired, and why I believe AEW in the end will pay out his entire contract, whether he ever wrestles there again. Uh, going forward, AEW has more potential liability if it allows the Bunks and Omega back in the workplace. <laughs> AEW and Tony Khan are now on notice of the EVP's wrongdoing, and God forbid they do something similar in the future. It's a huge risk to AEW and potentially exposes the company to punitive damages. Uh, I'll be surprised if the outside law firm conducting the independent, independent investigation doesn't recommend their termination. I just want to add that I, I don't know that there isn't an independent investigation happening as far as I have read there's an investigation being conducted by AEW's own general counsel. But going on, this might be the reason that there's been no, there's been radio silence because that, that recommendation has already been made and Tony is torn between his fondness for the Bucks and Omega and the following and following the attorney's advice. Um, Punk's statement in the, in the press conference to the effect of anyone has a problem with my claims, comments, my door is open. Um, Anyone who has ever worked in a corporate environment knows that that is not an invitation to confront someone in a hostile manner uh, when, when emotions are high. And uh, this person goes on to say that the, the proper way to, to deal with this would have been to meet with uh, human resources, with Tony, and with everyone involved and try to come to a resolution. But that obviously did not happen. Thoughts? What did you think about that? I don't know. I'm not a, not a lawyer. Uh, that, that could be what's happening. I found that to be – I think it hinges on a creative interpretation of Tony's nodding and, and interrupting Punk by saying that's on me as a admission to Tony that he was very aware of this being a hostile work environment and siding with CM Punk. I think that was more in relation to how the media handled rumors as opposed to how the Young Bucks were conducting themselves towards CM Punk. I also think it's a creative way to say, oh, they ran in and said it was a three-on-one uh, they had him outnumbered. Like, is Ace Steel a ghost? Ace Steel's the one who allegedly threw a chair, and Ace Steel's the one who bit Kenny Omega. So, I think in that regards, it's not I necessarily. Dog was there? Uh, yeah, and, and Ace Steel's wife was there as well. But 
at least we understand it, Ace Steel and CM Punk were host- can be considered hostile parties in that sense. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of, that's a very pro CM Punk evaluation of things. Um, I'm not saying it's not true or accurate, and I'm certainly not a lawyer, but I would take exception to a few things that were stated there. As to as, be clear, as, he's not he's not just he's, he's not just pointing to the nodding, but but where where Tony does say, yeah, I, I, sh- I should have addressed it sooner. He was talking about in my understanding of, of what Tony was saying there. He was talking about questions from perhaps Nick Hausman or maybe others in media who were asking Tony about whether Punk had anything to do with Colt Cabana's standing in the company mm-hmm. being moved to Ring of Honor and so forth. And Tony said, that's on me. I sh-, Something to the effect of, that's on me. I right, should've. but that's, in, that's no. in the relationship of the media's understanding of the issue it doesn't seem to have anything to do with punk saying that you know the young bucks don't know what they're doing and they're they're you know about effing children or you know whatever he said to me that's not what, what was it called what is it called <laughs> it's it, it's uh, i'm hurt i'm old i'm tired i work with effing children <laughs> yeah to me when 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 tony is interrupting it's it's him talking about like kind of like the media running away with this speculation doesn't seem to me to have a lot to do with like Tony agreeing with punk that punk is working with children and that these guys are, are idiots that he's working with. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot that I, I don't agree with, with, with the just going with like the nodding and the, and the interruption as, as an endorsement of CM Punk's position. I think that's been, I, a, I could a, see, I could see that very issue being argued about in, yeah, if CM place. Punk's a defense attorney would say that for <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, yes. Um, yes. But I, I just, from a, as a neutral neutral party, I just I don't see that as, and, and you need it seems like you need that to kind of show that CM Punk was now working in a dangerous work environment, and his owner and his boss agreed with CM Punk that it was a, a dangerous work, and, and then therefore CM Punk becomes a protected employee, and then it happens when the Young Bucks show up, outnumbering CM Punk twenty to one in. Yeah. Uh, super kick the door down and beat up CM Punk. And that's the big story. It's being confronted by executives, being confronted by higher ups in the company. And that's, that's going to be the big thing. Like, yeah, we could talk about the Tony Khan, nod, but that's the, the big case that Punk has. If he wanted to super damages on top of getting in the rest of his contract. Yeah. And, and to be clear, the, 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 the person's opinion, I, you know, speculation that I just read that has no, connection to the wrestling industry that I'm aware of or to any of the people involved. Um, so anything else to add there before we move on to, I don't know what, what's next. Uh, I thought the observer report was at least interesting. It seemed like Dave had at least talked to multiple parties involved. And it's interesting to note that he writes that none of them have been told, have been told anything by AEW. What does that mean? Does that mean that they haven't been told about, haven't been talked to with the investigator or an investigation? Have they just been completely radio silent? Have they just not been told something about when they're going to return? Obviously, I don't expect CM Punk to return anytime soon anyway, because he's injured. And generally, AEW doesn't have injured wrestlers appear from time to time on their product. So we're really talking about the Young Bucks and Kenny, uh, I guess, and I guess potentially Ace Steel when it comes to when they're going to return. When are we going to see these people again at work? Um, so I think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on to the ongoing saga that people are interested in about AEW's relationship with its TV partner. The Hollywood Reporter this week on Wednesday had a, an interview with Kathleen Finch, who is the, her title is U.S. Network's Group Chair and Chief Content Officer 
of Warner Brothers Discovery. She appears to be, since since Brett Weitz, who was formerly, I believe what was Brett Weitz's title, general manager of, of, of the T-Nuts, since he left shortly after the merger was completed, Kathleen Finch appears to be taking over many of his duties in overseeing TNT TBS, which is obviously the homes of Dynamite and Rampage. Um, but the interview that she did with the Hollywood Reporter on Wednesday, she did she talked a lot about WBD's vision for content and scripted content in particular. She did make one passing mention of AEW, which which we will now overanalyze. Uh, so she, so the Hollywood Reporter asks her. Is audience the only difference between the networks? Um, and I believe they're referring to TNT and TBS. And Kathleen Finch responds, Brands like TNT and TBS aren't one thing, at least the way that HGTV, ID, that is Investigation Discovery, and TLC are. They are many things. Sports, comedy, drama, movies. What they have in common is incredibly loyal, male-skewing audiences. And by that I mean fifty-five percent male, not eighty-five percent. So what we, so what can we create on both of those networks that will keep those men coming back night to night, just the way they do on Discovery or Food Network? How can we push the viewers from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday with a more defined brand lens? The Hollywood Reporter asks, "How do you do that?" Finch, we really play in the sports space. One of the things we're proud around sports. I'm sorry. One of the things we're doing around sports is creating shoulder programming to hold on to those fans. AEW pulls huge numbers, so we are working with the wrestling team to figure out what new kind of content can we build that's not in a wrestling ring. That is the extent of the of the mentions of wrestling in AEW in that interview. So, what does that mean for first of all, what if anything do you take away in terms of a sentiment between the TV partner and AEW, what does this mean about the kind of content that you might see uh, on kind of wrestling content that we might see on any of the WBD properties going forward? Well, it seemed to indicate that they're looking at potentially some level of like reality TV programming maybe a studio show, something related to AEW television that isn't wrestling. It's not dynamite and it's not rampage. Yes. Um, that's the most I pointed out. They have all of the players who were involved in the, was it W backstage studio show? Right. Right. Because they have Soraya and they have, they don't have everyone, right? Well, they may be losing punk. Yes. Yeah. They have, well, they, yeah, right. They had Soraya, they had punk, they had, they have Renee Renee now. Cats. Um, weren't there other, wasn't like Booker T on that show. There's a picture that people have shared, and it's like, oh, yeah, all those people are in AEW now. But, um, so, I, I mean, it seems like they're, obviously, if you just take that quote and want to run with it, you can say that Turner is happy with, Warner Brothers Discovery is happy with AEW's performance, and they really want to present more, find a way to kind of hold on to the AEW uh, audience at some point outside of just Dynamite Rampage. Um you know, I think Dave has reported in the past, this is going back a few months, that they, AEW is working on like kind of a a reality show focused on kind of like similar to like F1's Drive to Survive mm-hmm. and kind of looking to and has been shopping that concept around. So that would seem like something that you could do. I mean, look, if you could have, if you could do something with the CM Punk Elite 
backstage brawl and present that as reality television. It'd be pretty similar content, yeah. Right. So, like whether it's like a hard knock style show or something like that. I mean, you would do that would do bigger than a dynamite rating, I feel like, but, if you were to air just that. Judging by, by Tony's unwillingness to even talk about it publicly or anybody else's, I mean, it's, you know, MJF has even said that he can't talk about it in, in interviews, that I think that, that that is very much, there's an edict that you do not say anything publicly about it. Oh, I'm, I, yeah, but I'm presenting the idea of a show following around some backstage drama, and there's plenty yeah. of backstage drama that's not just the punk and elite True. fight, as we know. Yeah. Um, you could have compelling television you could get reality television you can get people who don't watch wrestling particularly women perhaps watching i think it's an interesting uh concept if that that would jump off to me as something that you would want to present uh if you're looking for additional supplemental programming um speaking of of women i did see something where melter reported that tony kind of did pitch an all women's show as well as a bring of honor show to her brother uh discovery so an all-woman show, would it be like a wrestle show or would it be like a maybe a Total Divas-type reality show? So the, the biggest thing I take away from her comments, if there's much to take away from a few sentences, is that they're interested in content that's not in ring. That makes me think, well, I don't, I don't know that they're really interested in Ring of Honor because you're, you're definitely not going to do an unscripted show about or whatever, a reality show about Ring of Honor before you do an in-ring show about Ring of Honor. Or maybe, and I think, you know, the, the post guys have discussed, well, maybe something like The Ultimate Fighter is, you know, because that was a compromise between UFC and the network about what kind of content they would produce back in the mid-2000s. And that, that it was essentially a hybrid between an MMA fighting show you know, a fight card and and a, uh, a reality show. I guess that's possible. There's there's certainly there's there's creative pitches one you could come up with to 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 you know. And give, what if you took a, a TV show? Go ahead. What if you took like a woman's reality show and what if you put it on TLC, a network aimed towards women, and not necessarily aimed at AW fans? I mean, that's what WWE did. Total Divas was not on USA Network. It was on E for that same right. reason. And I think there is. Some positive correlation between increases in WWE's female viewership for their for Raw and SmackDown and the introduction of Total Divas on E. So it yeah. could work. Yeah, no, I think that's that's an interesting idea, and 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 that reflects on just what Kathleen Finch said in the interview that we just read from about how those TLC Discovery networks have a really strong female audience and maybe there's there's some way to to do a women's focused show for AEW that that helps cross over you know for other programming in the WBD universe um real quick so should should we be under the impression that like well obviously there wasn't going to be another season of roads to the top even though it got greenlit but nothing's going to replace that I know we something's going to replace that. I think that that's what we're talking about. Something's going to replace that. But how long down the line is it going to be announced and produced? And, you know, yeah, I don't know. And I I don't view like roads to the top as a a, a strong success. I think it did. Okay. Um, As far as the demographics, which and it often aired after dynamite, as far as the demographics, it did. It didn't do an especially female audience. Which, which we know from the viewership numbers that we have within the demo, um, it was not a, a total. For whatever people believe about about Total Divas, I don't have the viewership data to to do an analysis to tell you what exactly Total Divas did pre twenty thirteen and after it debuted in twenty twenty thirteen. But it certainly didn't capture this new female audience and create 
and turn them into wrestling fans. You know, we um, we talked about the SmackDown show. We do have now Ren- Renee uh, Paquette is there as well as uh, Soraya. They were both members of Total Divas. Maybe that's the angle they go on. I guess my my big takeaway to kind of repeat what I said is that I don't know what where where Ring of Honor lands here, and I don't think Ring of Honor is going to f- find a TV home until they have a new TV deal, and I don't know if they will then. Maybe in a, in a package with all this stuff that AEW could potentially sell in the next round, which would be not just Dynamite and Rampage, not just next day rights, maybe Spanish language rights, but also um, they have Dark Elevation that doesn't have a home, the Dark content that doesn't have a home other than YouTube, obviously. But maybe that all gets bundled, and maybe Ring of Honor gets bundled in there. But um, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot of questions to raise around, like what what is going on with Ring of Honor, and, and why isn't there a TV home yet? But but that's not happening, but also all this focus on AWTV on it. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Okay. Moving on to... Oh, gosh. Let's do the Wall Street Journal first. Wall Street Journal on Tuesday uh, reported... The Biden administration is proposing a new rule that could put more gig workers on company payrolls, scrapping a Trump administration rule from 2021 that made it easier for firms to classify workers as independent contractors. The proposal, released Tuesday, would affect millions of workers across a range of industries, including healthcare, restaurants, construction, and rideshare transportation, the Labor Department said. Most prominently, it could lead to a push to classify drivers for rideshare or food delivery companies such as Uber Technologies, Inc. and Lyft, Inc. or DoorDash, Inc. as employees rather than gig workers. The companies have opposed similar efforts in the past. The article goes on to say, uh, this is a quote from Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, uh, who released this statement. We have seen in many cases that employers misclassify their employees as independent contractors, particularly looking... Uh, particularly among our nation's most vulnerable workers. Misclassification deprives workers of their federal labor protections, including their right to be paid their full legally earned wages, end quote. Will this affect WWE and AEW even, or the wrestling industry at all? Um, not immediately if, if this rule is approved, which we don't know that it, it will be approved, but I, I'm, I'm guessing this is being reported because it will be approved uh, imminently. But I, it will still take, in my opinion, a large lawsuit for something like this, which, which maybe this makes it more viable. It will still take a, a big deal lawsuit for wrestlers who are, in my opinion, probably misclassified in AEW, almost definitely misclassified in WWE, for that to change. Uh, any thoughts before we, we go to the Jacobin? If that's how you say it. Shaco Bean. <laughs> Is that how you say it? Because yeah, you don't know French you don't know, what do you know you don't know your French Revolution? I I, I did Jacobin. I want to say Jacobin is a term for like working class French people. 
Um, I think it has something to do with pants, actually. Like, they wore a certain type of pants um, that were responsible for a lot of the uh, revolutionary concepts of the French Revolution. I want to say that's right. Okay. Uh, do, do you know anything about the, the publication, Jacko Bean? It's very left-leaning. And they have covered wrestling in the past. I, there is a famous story they wrote about probably about 10 years ago t- titled Money in the Bank. Uh Talk, tackling a lot of these similar subjects, basically talking about how much money Vince McMahon has made and how much money WWE has made in some of the grislier stories about wrestlers who have been chewed up and spit out by the company over its history. So this, this is how you say it. Jacko Bean. Jacko Bean. Jacko Bean. Jacko Bean. Get it, get it. I don't French. speak French, so someone who's a French speaker could probably clear that up for me, but I'm pretty sure it's Jacko Bean. So on, on Thursday, they published this article, which I believe is written by like a sociology professor. Um, and uh, so here it goes. It recently, so we're going to read excerpts from, from this article, which, in, which include an interview with Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. They did not interview his tag team partner, who might have had a very different political <laughs> um, So the, the article reads, uh, a recently released WWE wrestler to- told the author of this article, Quote, I think everyone would want a union, end quote. Yet she believes that the wrestlers would need, quote, someone of a high stature in the company to get the ball rolling and to be a leader to get everyone else behind it, end quote. Jim Brunzel, who wrestled for the WWE slash WWF for the greater part of the years from 1985 to 1983, with the famed tag team The Killer Bees, and as a singles competitor, told the author that he estimated Hulk Hogan was making upward of $50,000 per week, including merchandise and other sales, while Brunzel and others were making about $5,000 per week. Quote, Vince wanted us to work to the bone, and for three and a half years, he did. My tag team partner, Brian, and I averaged 27 days a month on the road, Brunzel said. Even the pilots who regularly saw the WWE wrestlers on the planes in the 1980s were alarmed by how much they traveled. Quote, I told this one pilot I was flying 25 days a month at the time, Brunzel recalls. Quote, he, the pilot, said, that's not good for you. The pilots don't even fly that much. Given the disparities in pay between Hogan and the other wrestlers, as well as between McMahon and the workers, Brunzel and former wrestler turned Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura began in 1986 to discuss the possibility of unionizing the WWE. Brunzel figured it was the only way to bring some transparency to what everyone was making. Quote, I thought, geez, they're making millions of dollars weekly with the WWE. We have no idea as the performers, as the artists how much they're really making, he said, uh, end quote, he said. Before Brunzel and Ventura made a push before the W locker room, Brunzel phoned Gene Upshaw, who was a former National Football League football player for the Oakland Raiders and had now become the head of the NFL Players Association, later leading a strike against the NFL in 1987. Brunzel recounts how Upshaw told him that if they didn't have Hogan on board with the unionization effort, it would fail. Brunzel said that he personally spoke with Hogan about unionizing the WWE and about how performers were connected, uh, were concerned about their bodies, their pay, and their retirement. Quote, when I talked to Hogan about the union, he says, geez, I would never do that because that would have hurt him the most. He wasn't going to rock the boat, end quote. So Hulk Hogan, his legacy 
standing in the way of, of unionizing uh, WWE uh, to some extent. And the, the article mentions how supposedly Hogan went to Vince with this and, and, and got the idea squashed. Um, any, any thoughts before we move on to, to, to Tucker? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the article focuses, I think, a little too much on like, oh, Hulk Hogan was making all of this money and um, Jim Brunzel wasn't making it. And I think, I don't know, that's kind of true across the entire entertainment industry is that the people who are considered to be the biggest draws make the most money. I always think that the, the biggest case for if you want to sell the concept of WWE wrestlers being mistreated is to compare the amount of revenue that they receive given how much revenue the company brings in relative to other professional sports leagues and things like that. Um, Which is a point that people often raise against the UFC, that the UFC fighters are underpaid based on. Right. And other things like not having a pension in, in benefits like that, the same way that NFL players or NBA players or MLB players have. Um, I think it's also kind of like, I, I would argue that I wouldn't, like, it seems like he, I wouldn't present the article like around Hulk Hogan because Hulk Hogan's a pawn ultimately in a lot of this. I know he's credited with like ratting out Jesse Ventura and things like that, but I feel like it's kind of like selling the concept to people who don't know what pro wrestling is or know much about pro wrestling. It's like, oh, Hulk Hogan was making all this money. Well, that's a wrestler I know. So therefore it's connected to the cause. But ultimately this is a war between Vince and the talent, not really anybody else. Yeah. That's also only one era, too. I mean, yeah, it's know, a long time ago. It's it's hard yeah. to draw. Um, the the publication does get some quotes though from recently uh, released wrestlers on on the record. Uh, we've got quotes here from uh, first. Well, first we're going to go to one anonymous wrestler told Jaco Bean, "Quote right now, if you're a professional wrestler for the WWE, the WWE, the World Wrestling Entertainment." Just basically, uh, you basically just sign away your rights and hope that you're one of the five people that gets picked to be the face of the company, at least for a small moment in your life. End quote. Uh, labor attorney Lucas Middlebrook is hoping that his and Andrew Yang's efforts will catalyze a newfound push. Quote, Andrew and I have the objective to create a vehicle to be able to help the WWE and entertainers unionize, Middlebrook told Jaco Bean. But it takes more than... It takes more than an attorney and a businessman who ran for president. You have to have the individuals who are going to be affected by the unionization on board because without that buy-in, it's just outsiders, end quote. Levi Cooper, who wrestled for the WWE under the name Tucker, primarily as one half of the blue-collar tag team Heavy Machinery, revealed to me how, quote, there was no real testing protocols or anything put in place until there was a big outbreak. They're talking about COVID. Uh, he says that he says this was the moment he realized that W as a quote corporate power structure end quote cared little for its actual workers and their health quote at that juncture I personally felt hey it'll continue to run this show this TV show no matter what the cost is that made me feel like the TV show is more important than I am as an individual and my safety I don't think I ever really recovered from that the way I was feeling about the company, end quote. Cooper says he wrote a pretty long email about some of thing, some things that I was uncomfortable with around COVID protocols. While some changes resulted, several months later, Cooper was released with WWE citing budget cuts as the rationale. One former wrestler described the absurdity of the WWE work schedule and how dangerous wrestlers' driving schedule is. 
he said he believes a union could help with this. To be at work from, let's say, noon until when the show's over, which could be midnight, that's a 12-hour day. But then you also have to drive to the next town, which could be 300 miles away. Others point out how frustrating they find booking all of their travel and healthcare expenses. Cooper says that while his contract was for $250,000 a year, he was spending about 70000 or so of that on hotels, rental cars, food, gear, boots, suits, and stuff for TV. Cooper recognizes that he made a considerable amount of money during his time with the company, but he also recognizes the commitment he had to a large corporation headed by a billionaire. I was doing well, right? Like, I'm taking home about 175000 or 180000 a year, but I also missed probably 250 out of the 365 days of my young daughter's life during that time span. Andrew Yang and Lucas Middlebrook, for their part, remain willing to assist, but are limited in what they can do. The Actors Union, the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, that's SAG-AFTRA, has also voiced support for wrestlers, but the wrestlers themselves are the ones who need to organize. Thoughts on that? It's very interesting. I mean, a lot of it is stuff that we kind of already know. Um, if you've been following this issue for a while, that wrestlers have to pay a lot of money for their road expenses and things like that. They're on the road a lot. It's the travel is very rigorous. Um, the COVID nineteen pro- testing protocols were not up to to what most people would consider um, uh, appropriate health and safety standards, especially at first. I think. I think Kevin Owens went on record kind of talking about having conversations with Vince like a few years ago, talking about when they were first doing the tapings at the performance center and Kevin was being very, was very upset about, you know, people aren't following, find, you know, following the rules and talking to Vince and saying, you know, Vince, you got to follow these rules. And Vince is like, what do you want me to do? Find people for not wearing masks. And Kevin was like, yes. He's like, fine, we'll do that. Do you, do you remember this? That sounds familiar. I, I mean, I definitely remember in the early months of the pandemic when, Testing was starting to happen on a wide basis and tests were available. I, I remember complaining on, on WrestleNomics Radio here about why are they not testing? I was baffled. Eventually they started testing. but Sloppy it, it was, shop. Yeah, it was. And, and AEW did do testing and I, I think they were doing testing before WWE was. And it was it was baffling why WWE was, was not testing. It's not as if they couldn't afford it. As we all know, WWE's doing very well financially. I think they, I would spec, I, was, I can only speculate that WWE did, just didn't want to know the results and just wanted to go forward and, you know, maybe, maybe we're of the mindset that, that well, you know, it's, it's not really going to harm our, our wrestlers who are, you know, athletes. And I think, um, as you mentioned at the start, like, this is all stuff we know. It's all reasons for why wrestlers might want to unionize and it might be easier for them to unionize if they have appropriate government support. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to talent wanting to do it. And that hasn't happened in a very long time. And even someone like Levi Cooper, who's very open and candid about the negative and downsides of his experience in WWE. I mean, he, he was still there until they let him go. It wasn't like he quit and, and, and did that. Like wrestlers are still, as long as wrestlers are still willing to put up with it for the chance to be in WWE and the chance to wrestle for them, it's, there's going to be no motivation to unionize really. And and that's the thing, WWE, not WWE, just wrestling in general, it's happens in the territories, promoters, owners, bookers, they operate on fear. And fear is, is that those talents, whether they get hurt 
and they're working through injury because they don't want to lose their spot or they don't want to talk up and try to unionize because they don't want to lose their spot. Wrestling has created this atmosphere, and I've been involved in wrestling as well as Brandon, that everyone's replaceable no matter what, you know, and you're always afraid that, hey, you miss a sh- You can miss an indie show just because to go to a wedding and then you're just not booked ever again on an independent. That's the, unfortunately that no matter what your value was to it, that is wrestling. It And wrestlers, they've grown up with that. They know that it is. And it's going to be hard to organize because they're like, well, we'll just get frozen out and lose our jobs and we won't have a living. Yeah, I'm, I know we've broken one story today, but I'm, I'm hearing all of Chris Gull's bookings are now canceled. <laughs> That's across the board. <laughs> um. There, there's some discussion here about the, the traveling schedule, um, and in in the defense of of of, of companies, I guess the the travel schedule for WWE uh, has has gotten lighter. The number of house shows is what we have on the screen here. The number of house shows over the years, as we are now more than a year into this return to touring, after touring was on pause for about a year and a half because of the pandemic, we're now we've now been back for about a year. And we have, uh, in the 12 months, and these are all return to touring months, and then the first quarter was kind of a, I think when it comes to house shows, was kind of a slow rollout. But if we count October 2021 to September 2022, that's a 12-month period, I count 131 house shows run by WWE during that time. That's a, that's a year-long period. And if we compare that to prior years, where they did, again, 131 in, in this most recent just ended 12 month period 131 compare that to 321 in 2015 400 in 2016 411 in 2017 381 in 2018 and then the most recent pre-pandemic full year of 2019 they did 347 house shows so they're running about a third of the number of house shows that they were in recent pre-pandemic years as the business model in, in, in wrestling, and particularly WWE, has changed in, into relying more on media revenue and less on live events. Perhaps a lot of these live events are not profitable anyway, and so the the, the touring schedule is is not what it once was. That's not to take away from the the, the fact that uh, perhaps if wrestlers consolidated their power and unionized, they couldn't get better deals for themselves and better uh, health care and, and things like that. But the, the touring schedule is less now. I just think at this point, how WWE wrestlers haven't got together to at least get their hotels and an airfare paid for? Because, I mean, I could be wrong, but AEW pays for those expenses, correct? I think so. So how now we're three years into this that WWE talent haven't been like, hey, we need this. Like, what's going on here, you know? And in AEW, they don't have the town-to-town kind of travel generally that WWE has. You're not, you know, flying into Dallas for SmackDown on Friday and then driving to, you know, Austin or in Austin for a house show on Saturday and then driving down to San Antonio for a house show on Sunday. Um, so I think their travel, their travel expenses are a little bit easier to accommodate. Um, but, yeah, I mean – but again, that comes down to unionization. What? Why would WWE? Why would WWE finally decide to pay? Like they're not just going to, out of the goodness of their heart, just be like, actually, you know, we're going to cover all of this stuff for you guys now. You guys deserve it. It has to come from the talent motivation standpoint. And you know, for all the talk of all these old wrestlers that are locker room leaders, the big stars that looked after everyone in the locker room, um, it bears the question: How come none of these things have happened yet? That would the Undertaker, be- the the Undertaker. 
the locker room leader. Mm-hmm. He can sit there it's in his pretend p- judge robe and, and hold wrestlers' court. But, but when it comes to, to actually in, making a difference in people's wallets and things like that, they're nowhere to be found. To put this in some real context, so we know there was SmackDown on Friday in New Orleans. On Saturday, there was a, there were two house shows. There was a house show on in Phoenix. There was a house show in Sioux City, Iowa. So I'm guessing Louisiana. I don't, I don't know who went to what house show. But those are those both sound like long trips in a car. So maybe maybe they did fly them in for that. I don't know. Uh, today there is one house show in Topeka, Kansas, and then they go back to Oklahoma City for Raw. So just to give some well, who, idea, who, who, who booked that? That, that ge- ge- geographically makes no sense. <laughs> maybe Jeff Jarrett. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know who the you'd have to look at who were on those shows and like. Was everyone that was on SmackDown on one of the the subsequent house shows? Are there people yeah. who aren't weren't on SmackDown at all who are now who were separately on the house shows? Um, right. But that I mean that's definitely not so. So the the SmackDowns in New Orleans, and then they the house show the next day. There's one in Arizona and one in Iowa, Phoenix you, and Sioux City, Iowa, were the Saturday yeah, house shows yesterday, which you would have to fly to from New yeah. Orleans. You could not drive there in time. I'm going to assume that the raw run is the Iowa, then Kansas, and Oklahoma City. Right, that makes sense. Start in Iowa and then go down to to Oklahoma City. Uh, So perhaps SmackDown is is, um, in Arizona, I guess. I guess they flew the crew out to to Arizona. Um, Or people found their own flights to Arizona. The WWE certainly didn't uh, pay for them. So, again, Super Chats, if you want to put them in questions and comments we were we're going to handle them in a moment uh but we have on this coming tuesday two days from when we're speaking right now the tuesday night war maybe we shouldn't call it a war maybe it's a a battle maybe it's a a skirmish october 18th this coming tuesday aw dynamite and nxt will run head to head from eight to ten nxt will have a an overrun of like five minutes or something like that um tales from the territories will also Beyond Vice. So not the Vince McMahon documentary, apparently. That's going to air at some point later, but not not this coming week. Not this coming Tuesday, anyway. Uh, I understand it's the AWA episode. So we, we really have, it's it's WWE versus AEW versus Vern versus the AWA. Um, so Vern's revenge. <laughs> so I've, I've got the most recent month or so of ratings on the screen right now. And I would, I would like to challenge all of us to make a prediction about what's the total viewership going to be? What's the demo going to be? And, and maybe most importantly of all, do we need to, to set up some sort of a remedial uh, uh, seminars to explain to people once again why 1849 is more important from a business perspective than, uh, than, than total viewership? But um, So predict the NXT number, predict the Dynamite number, and predict the Tales from the Territory number, sure. Um, who wants to go first? Um, so well, am I predicting total viewers or eight or both or eighteen forty nine? Both, both, both. So NXT is going to do. Now, what are the factors here? Uh, you go ahead. I'll 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 yeah. explain the factors. A- NXT is going to do seven hundred and ten thousand viewers in a point one four Nikki demo. So that's NXT. Dynamite um, is going to do. 890,000 viewers and a 
0.29 in the key demo. Okay. And Tailstone Territories are going to do 99,000 P2 in a 0.04 in the key demo. Okay. Golo. Uh, let's go. We'll start with NXT. NXT is going to do 660,000 total viewers with a, uh, let's, let's go a point 12. Uh, we're going to go dynamite's going to do 870,000 viewers with a point three Oh, and then we'll do uh tales from the territories, which is going to do 88,000 and we'll do a point zero two. Okay. Um, all right. What are the factors involved here? Uh, NBA is going to be on Tuesday night. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yes. NBA makes its season debut on Tuesday night. First regular season of the game, uh, of the first regular season game of the year on TNT, or is it ESPN? I believe it's on TNT. Okay. So that will be new. This is not something that these shows have had to deal with up until now. Mm-hmm. So that itself is competition. Um there's also, there's also going to be, I believe, the first game of the NLCS between the oh, Padres wow. and the Phillies. Is also yeah, there. Phillies. Wow. And what, what network is that on? Uh, it's either on Fox or TBS, I think. Yeah. Like Fox Broadcast, Fox. Not, not FS1. No. Fox Broadcast. Yes. Because it they can't do- be on TBS, right? Because Dynamite's going to be on TBS. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah, so it has to be on Fox. Because the ALCS is going to be on Wednesday. That's why Dynamite's on Tuesday first place mm-hmm. okay so i think i'm gonna let, we'll, we'll see here I, let's see nxt and remember nxt i think has a slight advantage here because their tuesday night is their night they they are benefiting from the habits of people not having to change or they're not preempted nxt last week at 737 week before that to 625 660 688 this is probably going to be their lowest number in a while right so I'd have to go like 625 is, is the lowest one of those that are on the screen right now in the last month. Could they do under 600? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I go, let's see, let's say five, 560, 560. So that's, that's a diminishment from last week of this, this 737. So 560 divided by 737 minus one is a 24% hit. That sounds about right. So off of there, one five demo multiply up by like 75% and we get on a, a, a zero one eleven. That seems high to me. I'm going to go point zero one for the demo. 560,000 viewers, a point one zero for the demo for NXT for dynamite for dynamite, which has been doing mostly over a million viewers on its Wednesday night time slide. It will be preempted. Um, I'll say, under 800,000. Does that make me lower than either of you? Yeah, by a fair margin. Um, I don't know, though. Like, the, 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 the perfect storm for discourse is that NXT does better in total viewership than Dynamite, but Dynamite beats in the demo. Um, I think it's pretty likely that Dynamite will beat NXT in the demo. But I'm going pretty low with total viewership anyway here. So if, so if, if I'm saying 560 for NXT, I got to go lower than that for Dynamite in total viewership because they're going to eat each other's lunch. Do I really want to go there? I don't know. I think they'll do in the demo. Let's see. They've done 0.32. 
and so forth and demo. Let's say they take a 20% hit on a 0.32. That's 80% of that. They end up with a 0.24 in the demo. And I, I guess I'm going to have to give them the viewership. So say a million times points, let's say seven, eight, that, that they do like 780,000 viewers. And then for tales from the territory, um, they'll do, I don't know, 75,000 viewers and a point oh two in the demo. So that's what I've got. 560 for NXT, 560,000 viewers, point one zero dynamite, 780,000 viewers, point two four and tails from the territory, 75,000.02. Golo and I will be going, I don't know if we'll be going live, but we will be doing the, not the Thursday 30. Yeah. But the Wednesday 30 for this special event on Wednesday. When the, when the rating comes out for the Tuesday uh, telecasts. So we'll, see, we'll, we'll go over the results. The, the contrast between the amount of, the clear amount of effort that me and Dello put into our um, ex, yes. uh, guesses and Brandon put into explains a lot. If I'm, if I'm closer, uh, the, we will examine the predictions closely. Uh, if, if you guys are closer, we won't even bring them up. <laughs> um, so I, I, I think that's, uh, any, anything else to add there? Because I, th- I think we've gone through everything now and we can do whatever super chats there are. Don't forget to hit the thumbs up button because that helps people find this podcast. So what's going on? All right. So, yeah, let's uh, go super chat. So Primo Cologne uh, asks, with Survivor Series being sold out, how likely would the concept changing to war games, uh, if received well, become a stadium show next year and join the big four? So not likely. Uh, Money in the bank. I don't, I don't. Unless W becomes a lot hotter and their their ticket sales really do well, I mean, better than they're even doing right now. I think what they're doing right now is kind of optimal to demand in that they're able to sell out these NBA-sized arenas at probably a decent ticket price. But I don't think there's demand to go to stadiums beyond the cases of obviously WrestleMania. I think I think it, it probably makes sense to, to do the SummerSlam in a stadium. They're doing Royal Rumble in, in, a, in the Alamo Dome, in a stadium-sized venue. But I don't think that demand extends out to Survivor Series yet. Maybe, maybe, I don't know about next year, but if they continue to grow in popularity, maybe eventually. But not, not next year would be my prediction. The War Games gimmick is a good gimmick, I think, for this year to change it out from the traditional Survivor Series style match. But I don't see it over time. I think over time it would just become stale, just like the Survivor Series gimmick would become. All right, we'll move on to our next one here uh, from uh, Delmar Abdi. Uh, SmackDown through 2021 and early 2022, uh, they were generating impressive demos. Since Roman became part-time, fans have gotten out of the habit of watching weekly. Demos. Let's see. Since, what, what, what was the, the, the time frame? Through 2021 and early 2022, Impressive demo. So Q1. Let's 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 talk about the demo. We'll talk about demo rating specifically. Let's. Uh, I could even share the the spreadsheet here. Uh, okay. So what we're looking at here. We'll make this much bigger. Boom. Okay. So this blue 18 to 49 table here is is what I want to look at. Uh, 0.56 in Q1 2022, uh, and that is higher than Q2. That is higher than Q3, and that is a little bit higher than Q4 so far. 
Is that because of lack of Roman Reigns? Um, since Roman became part-time, fans have gotten out of the habit of watching weekly. Is Roman Reigns a draw? Is the lack of Roman Reigns lowering the demo? I don't know, but how does this compare to, say, Raw? Is Raw down? And the demo in Raw in Q4 is being affected by, by Monday Night Football. But if we look at this, it's, it's not down as much. And it's, it's a .47, which is much improved to a .50. Um, that could be a factor. Any, any thoughts on that? I mean, no Roman Reigns, no world title. So if Reigns isn't on the show as frequently, you're not having the world title on the show as frequently. The show is therefore feel theoretically less important if you know that the champion and the person who's um, by far the most pushed entity on the in the promotion is not on those shows. That would logically make sense um, that viewership would be down. I don't know if it's like it's gotten people out of the habit of watching, which seems to be the argument that Dalmar is making here, that because Reigns is on every week, people are now just not watching at all, even when he's on the show, because they're now out of the habit of watching every week. Um, not sure. Is there Reigns be- draw? Who's, who's getting that? But there's, there's, wait a minute. Is there no more best box office draw award in the Observer Dave, Awards? Dave, so you don't, you don't, so the best box office draw award, which is the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Award, you no longer vote on it. Dave just gives it to somebody. He just asks me, right? <laughs> you would you would know that, right? Um, I believe he just gives it to an individual who, because it is not an award people should be voting on. It is a factual statement in a lot of ways. So and why who, would people vote on it? I think it's still an opinion. It's still like a diagnostic opinion. But right. who's, who's deciding that? Who's making that decision? Right. And I think last year... I want to say Dave said it was Connor McGregor. So he's making the decision. Dave make oh Dave makes the decision. It's okay. it's just Dave gives the award it's out. One vote. Somebody. One vote. One vote, and it's Dave. I mean, and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, firstly, I don't think the UFC people should be involved in the Wrestling Observer Awards at all. I think they can have their own separate Does awards. Does he rank them or he just gives it to one person? Because there's uh, I'd have to go back and check the issue to see if he's like who else was in contention. But I remember when he was like talking about it last year, he just said it's dumb to even have us vote on it. It has to be Connor. Like, and I think Dave was worried about people who aren't going to vote for anyone in the MMA would vote, you know, CM Punk or Roman Reigns or whoever. Um, and then Connor wouldn't win it. So it would that be stupid bad. if Connor didn't yeah. win it, but okay. All right. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, Tim B uh, saying, I think Finch's sentiment is positive. And the willingness to bring up uh, AEW's unsolicited means TK is about to cash a billion dollars. I don't know. <laughs> You're not going to not gonna describe the emoji, Skull? Uh, the emoji, it's a money bag and then a, a smiley face with dollar signs throwing up, I think, money. <laughs> yes. yes. You're, you're trying trying to silence the full uh, breaths of, of Tim B's super. Well, shit. Tim B's anti anti gullo. We've talked about this. Retaliating. Yeah, yeah, Tim B, thank you for your super chats. Um, yeah, I, I think I've said this many times. I, I, I think the the concern about is, is is the network really going to like AEW? Do they are they they're really unhappy and they can make up some you can. Imagine some narratives about why and the, the violence of the content and whether well, their ratings aren't as good as WWE and, and so forth. Um, and look at the drama backstage and the top stars are suspended. Um, but I think AEW is still in a good position to get a strong increase and Dynamite continues to be highly ranked 
and Dynamite is not in decline. Rampage is in decline, but I think they're still in a good position to get a strong increase in TV rights fees. As I argued before, there's at least math to, to, to argue that 3X to 5X is reasonable. Um, just to kind of touch on that, uh, you, so you recently did, uh, was it an interview with Nick Houseman about like a third, a third wrestling company? So yes, you talk about like, you know, AEW is going to cash in a deal and so is uh, WWE, but you just don't think of a third company was able to have resources to maybe a couple of big name stars and, you know, could get a nice TV deal if they just like, look, look at what all these other companies are doing demo wise. No. I'd made there's a tweet thread on my Twitter. Yeah, I, 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 I had to read it. Um, I just don't think there. I mean, it depends on what. I I mean, I we don't have clarity into what the budgets are of of the other companies that are trying to do something such as MLW and NWA and 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 Wow and and Impact. Um, are are any of those companies profitable? I don't know. Um, but if. What I imagine people to mean when they talk about a major third company is a, th- a third company that approaches the profile of AEW, I guess. Um, and I just don't see how that's possible. What about I mean, a company that will possible, but extremely unlikely because a lot of reasons. If I can try to go over in my mind what I tweeted last night. Uh, the talent is not available. The talent are largely consumed by WNAW. The talent wants to be in those in one of two of those companies probably they would prefer because that's the best platform for them to build up the value of their name and the future of their careers. Um, those companies are now evaluating talent appropriately. I think AEW is basically always evaluating the top talent appropriately among those who are free agents. WB um when Triple H has influence, is val- is valuing that that talent appropriately? Vince was not. Vince is now out of power. John John Laurinaitis is now out of power. So now the top two companies actually evaluate marketable talent appropriately. So they're not leaving all this value on the table. They're not leaving a lot of unsatisfied wrestling fans out there available. These a lot of these other opportunities outside of WWE in the wrestling business are opportunities that were created by Vince McMahon not making the most of his opportunities. Um, and that's a large part of the reason why AEW even exists, the number two. Um, Do you think those I- opportunities not being left behind, What value, there's less value and less opportunity to, to grab. Do you think NXT untraditionally holds that third spot? Because I feel like a third company would try to want to hit those numbers. But do you think NXT is untraditionally that third company, the way it performs on TV? What do you mean? Like, like, so, like, the market for a third company is probably taken with NXT, with like you know Tuesday night and the amount of numbers they do. And uh, NXT is on TV because it is owned. It is it is a WWE program, and it gives WWE's business partner that broadcasts raw and the w network content another program that may or may not do better than a law and order rerun um what i'm what i'm laying out is like it's look it's really expensive to run a wrestling company that looks the way that WWE or even AEW look hundreds of thousands of dollars a week to run that tv production now you can go to a studio and and tape months of tv at a at a sitting but that's not the look that apparently the rest, a large TV wrestling audience 
demands to be what I think people are imagining when they think about the third major, a third major wrestling company that apparently does not currently exist. Um, that's really expensive to the tune of like a half a million dollars per week per event um, to generate the revenue that will offset that cost. You need to not do a 0.03 in the demo, not do a 0.08 in the demo. You need to do at least what NXT does. And I think it's questionable that, okay, NXT is kind of another case of, of, of a company that is just taping their TV in a studio to keep those costs down. And NXT on its own, if, if NXT was, let's imagine, NXT was its own independent wrestling company. It's, I don't know that that's a, what they're doing is viable on its own. Okay. Yeah, even, they're, if they're delivering yeah. the, even if they're delivering the viewership they, that they are currently delivering, which is like a point one two point one four point one five in the demo, I don't know that what they're delivering is is enough to to offset the cost if they were an independent wrestling company that was not subsidized by WWE and benefiting from WWE's relationship with NBC okay. Universal. That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it in context there, yeah. And like, right. not to mention, here, here I go. And not to mention, <laughs> I mean, like, to get you all around, like, I just don't have a lot of faith in in the creative leadership of 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 the people who would potentially be behind a company like that. Like, I think I was saying to somebody this morning, like, I, th- I think you know, maybe there's an opportunity to like, t- t- and maybe I'm projecting my own taste here, but like, maybe there's an opportunity to be like the you know a high production value type company that is kind of like a you know that appeals to hardcore fans who are further down the funnel who have have a a larger appetite to consume a wider variety of wrestling maybe there's an opportunity there to be like a high production values pwg and then i kind of stop myself and think well isn't that kind of what AEW did but it kind of gets just got wrapped up in into the into the appeasement of talent and things like that to the point where it's you know it's it's having some trouble on its own here uh again i think it's really go ahead I just think it's really difficult. We waited years and years for like a true number two to emerge after WCW collapsed. And you can make an argument that TNA was that for a period of time. But the idea that because we've gotten an AEW, therefore the door is open for a third brand to pop up. um, It seems very foolhardy for the main reason of, I think, how unique of an entity Tony Khan is into coming to pro wrestling. Um, He not only is he, you know, independently wealthy or fat his family is very wealthy he has plenty of money to absorb the startup costs on his own not only uh does he have that but he also has connections in the television industry and through different uh avenues like being a professional sports owner able to kind of put together a major television deal or at least a deal with a major cable network very you know without really proving anything beforehand um and but even if you had someone who had a lot of money and had connections in the television industry tony khan being the creative person himself is the real unique aspect to it because we've seen like TNA is a good example that they had cable television, they had money, but what they didn't have was someone with the appropriate creative vision to install a successful third brand. They went through a bunch of washed up names and charlatans and frauds and whoever you want to name running the company at different periods of time. And were never able to kind of create that true major secondary company was always being held back despite having funding and despite having good TV. Um, And I just don't know how that's going to emerge. Is there another very wealthy billionaire or child of a billionaire who also is 
you know, former TBDBR seriously sure. studied wrestling throughout their life and has been fantasy booking wrestling for the last 20 years. And is that person going to make the plunge to start their own wrestling company? Then and only then will it become even viable for a third brand to emerge, not to mention the other things that Brandon has mentioned, like, is there appropriate talent available? Is there an appetite for a third company the way there was when AEW sprouted up? All of those things can't be answered until you have this mysterious figure who has a ton of funding and is also going to be very creatively driven. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I think the creative vision that people have for wrestling is so diverse and I think we see that manifest in, in discussions about wrestling in that everybody kind of wants something different and you can listen to people's fantasy booking and it would, whatever, whatever they're imagining would really please them as a viewer. But I, but would often, I, I think lose a lot of other viewers. Um, I just, I just trust very few people to, I trust very few people's opinions about the creative aspect of wrestling and I don't trust, I don't, I don't, I don't think many of those people are in the wrestling business and the people who would get the creative leadership jobs are the people who are in the wrestling business. And I just think there, there's just a lot of people who are in the forest, but they really don't have the tools to create, if it's even possible it, to create a creative product that would capture an audience that is not currently being captured. Right. And you mentioned that the people who have resumes that would be attractive to running a wrestling company are not necessarily people that are in the best position to creatively need a new company. Yeah. If you were to look at Eric Bischoff or Vince Russo or, I don't know, John Gabrunik or whoever Gabrunic. is around, you wouldn't necessarily say that that's the person I want in charge of a wrestling right. company in 2022. Um if Freddie it, Prince Jr. is the name that people have yeah. brought up, and he's apparently said stuff on his podcast that he wants to do something, I guess. It's, it looks like it's going to be an independent, though. Right, and you can look at, like, MLW, right? MLW has – they've signed – they have wrestlers. They have someone who has experience right. in creative end in wrestling. They have a regular television show. Um but it's not anywhere close to kind of approaching a third major company. You can look at NWA, you can look at Impact Now, all very similar in that boat as far as um, what they're able to accomplish, I think, from a footprint standpoint, is is much lower than I think people think of when they start talking about a third major company. Um, yeah, I think like with AEW, like I think AEW coming along, part of like I think the criticism that AEW has felt from, from different um, – directions is AEW before it actually started was supposed to be whatever individual fans felt was personally missing in pro wrestling. And for some fans, if it didn't fill that void, then they weren't going to gravitate towards AEW. And I think that was kind of a, a you were never going to be able to satisfy all of those expectations because many of them were contradictory each, each other. And I think that's also part of the, 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 the reason AEW has kind of become this, in some ways, is like a, now like a variety show with a lot of different aspects of pro wrestling in it is because it is trying to fill the void of it's not just trying to be like New Japan of America. It's not just trying to be, you know, super serious sports style wrestling. It's not just trying to be like comedy, lighthearted, you know, modern American indie style wrestling. It's not just trying to relive the attitude era. It's not like just trying to relive old American Southern territories. It's trying to do all of that in different 
aspects. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes at the risk we, of like get, getting into like a creative analysis of wrestling that we, I, I try to avoid here is that I think, I think AEW is a lot like a W product, but in some, but, but averts some of the bad habits of, of WWE, but not all of them. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very much, uh, demonstrates a lot of the, the, the W bad habits that W has instilled as normal that people can do not recognize as W habits. They're like fish in water. They don't realize that they're in water because this is just what wrestling has been. And maybe on Tuesday, MGF's going to cash in the money in the bank. I mean, the poker chip and win the title because that's just something that to be has established as normal. Anyway. All right. We, we have uh, one more, one last super chat here uh, from, uh, Primo Cologne, which once again, we don't know if this is the real Primo Cologne, <laughs> but did Dynamite ever do a million against NXT on Wednesday? So yes, Wednesday so. Night Wars. Yeah, I believe so too. Well, the debut episode for sure. That's true. And then the subsequent episodes, but also episodes like the Paul White debut, I think did over a million. The Shaquille O'Neal match, I think did over a million. Hmm. Um, might be a few others in there. Yeah. So you're talking pre against NXT. Yeah, not not many towards the end. I'm I'm just scrolling randomly. December 9th, 2020 did 995,000 viewers. But as I scroll into you know, back further into 2020, d- definitely those late 2019 episodes did. Um so we can definitively say yes. Yeah, I mean like the first episode did 1.4 million viewers, which is the highest Dino has ever done. All right, and then that will wrap us up on uh, Super Chats. Okay. Um, anything you guys want to plug? Sure. Um, Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast uh, is my podcast. It's right here on YouTube. If you Google Gentleman's Wrestling po- or YouTube search Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, it'll pop up. Uh, last episode I recorded on Thursday, I talked a lot about um, the Ariel Hawani interviews with Nick, uh, with Tony Khan and Triple H, kind of contrasted the two and also talked about kind of Ariel's subsequent reaction to criticism he faced from those interviews and kind of what they tell us about the broader uh, aspects of both AEW and WWE's um, media relations and also kind of what it says about mainstream media coverage of the professional wrestling industry in general. It's getting rave reviews. Um, Many people coming up to me telling me it was very good. So if people want to check that out, they can. That's uh, stopping in the streets. The streets are saying that it was the best podcast anyone's ever listened to in their entire lives. I'm, I'm just reporting that back as, a, as an unbiased party, but that is what I've heard. Okay. Um, yeah, for me, uh, we've uh, taken a brief break on rediscovering Indies because my uh, co-host has been in the UK, Japan, and now he's in Mexico right now. So in Mexico now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was in Mexico. He actually uh, went to Triple Mania last night in the middle. Did he of produce the, Triple Mania? He did not. He produced a show the night before, and he's producing a show tonight. But uh, um, speaking real quick, uh, speaking of Triple Mania, uh, Disney Plus is going to have wrestling, and it's going to be that Triple A. It's, it's not show. clear if that's that's specific to Latin America or yeah. whether that would be globally or, or whatever um, the case. But yes. But uh, just as far as CME ring announcer, uh, I'm actually going to be doing uh, kickboxing this weekend in Lockport, New York. Uh, the uh, actually the World Kickboxing Association K1 Middleweight Title will be on the line, the main event. So very excited for that. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and Chris Gallo co-hosts the Thursday 30, which will yeah. be on Wednesday this coming week, that is free 
for another couple of weeks before it becomes subscriber only at patreon.com. Speaking of patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, you can get my TV ratings reports and quarter hour reports as they're available. Uh, TV ratings reports come out nearly every day for AWW programs. You get access to the Wrestling Leadership Spreadsheet, which we looked through somewhat in this program today. You get the slides to our podcasts, including this one and lots of other things at patreon.com slash for just $5. Uh, that's all I have for today. Uh, big, big matchup for the Bills today. 4.15 p.m. The Chiefs and the Bills, the two teams that are leading the conference in the standings, the Bills led by what's the quarterback's name? <laughs> Josh Allen? Josh Allen. Against He's Patrick on everything Mahomes. here in Buffalo. He is. <laughs> he is. You can't go into the grocery store without be, being pummeled by Josh Allen grocery items. Well, you go to Wegmans, so we'll they have that. Buffalo build everything. Now they sell Buffalo Bills bouquets of flowers. Like that is they- we- I'm not kidding. We have Josh Allen cereal that you can buy. There's Josh Allen coffee that you can Barbecue buy. Barbecue sauce, spices, blue cheese. Well, Stefan Diggs blue cheese. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Hope the Patriots lose, by the way. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for listening, subscribing, supporting. Uh, hit thumbs up. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.